0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Neve. Once upon a time, it may have been dismissed as niche fun for geeks, but after nearly five decades, the iconic role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons is more popular than ever. Dungeons &
2: Dragons! (laughs) You arrive at a field full of majestic pegasi. Finally. But they are guarded by a mysterious and beautiful elf maid.
3: Special Hydra! Fork It crumbles to the ground! Yeah! Yeah! He pushes them into a bag of holes.
1: We just heard clips from TV shows Big Bang Theory, Community, and Stranger Things. Later this hour, I'll talk with the co-authors of Welcome to Dragon Talk, inspiring conversations about Dungeons and Dragons and the people who love to play it, but since my actual experience with D&D is very limited, I decided I needed a little hands-on experience before talking with them. So trusty IPR producer Caitlin Troutman made it happen. Caitlin and I gathered at Fortuna, a board game cafe in Iowa City with two other D&D rookies, talk show producer Samantha McIntosh and our former intern Natalie Dunlap to get introduced to the wide world of Dungeons and & Dragons. And our Dungeon Master, or DM, is Justin Ford.
4: What do you know about D&D?
3: I know very little except like what I saw in the first season of Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I used to watch my
1: cousins play sometimes when I was little. So I, I know a little bit about rolling and wizards and and making a lot of choices. Do you want to do this or do you want to do that?
3: Yes, I know that there are choices uh, and a lot of things are predicated on dice rolls and and there's creatures and yeah, just what I've seen in popular culture.
4: The way I like to look at D&D is D&D is what, you, what the group makes out of it, right? So this is the new group. I don't know anybody. You guys know each other some, but you have never played d and together. So it's going to be what we decide it to be, right? So there are guidelines and, and that sort of thing, but the idea of having a DM, is the DM can sort of um, move and try to meet what those needs are of the people.
1: We all took seats around the game table, eager to learn, although by necessity, it was an unusual setup and a bit of a challenge for our generous and patient Dungeon
4: Master. Normally, D&D, as you said, they go on for hours. Mm -hmm. Normally, a one hour session would not be enough to make characters. Right. So making characters is session zero. But that's not much fun. You guys want to just get a flavor, so we're going to play it like we're playing it. Now, if you get lots of DMs together, you're going to get lots of different styles. So you're going to get my style. My style is more of a a feedback loop. Some people are really good at the narrative. We're not going to have a lot of time for narrative. It's only an hour long, right? We're already getting into it just with the introductions. But we are going to make a lot of choices.
1: Justin created a story and a map for us. The beginnings of a world, essentially. Now we needed to figure out where we belonged in that world. First up, choosing characters. He provided us with some character sheets to pick from.
4: So much of that in on those sheets for a character are going to allow you to do different things in combat, different feats. You might have an athletic feat that we're going to go against. So let's pretend you have a very athletic character and you need to jump across the river. Then you can roll a check against that depending on how big the river is and the DM will decide what you need to to make the jump. That that then proficiency will allow you to add bonuses to make it more likely that you're going to make it. An unathletic character can roll really well and make it across it and a very athletic character can trip right before they get across it, right? Mm -hmm. However, those things let you know what you should try more. I think we should all be different.
3: Can I be the dragon?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Dragonborn. Dragonborn. <laughs> Close enough. Specific. Well, he yes. did say there would be no dragons. Um, I, kinda I like, feel like a high elf. You want to be so, a high elf? Yeah. So that leaves you I'll with. Be a, I can be a triton or a mountain dwarf. Oh, I want to be a mountain, mountain dwarf. dwarf. Oh,
1: <laughs> we each embraced our new roles, and we were off.
4: You are all adventurers, and you have met to go into the dark forest to to go after fame and glory of some sort. But before you go, it is tradition to go to Mrs. Miggins Pie Shop. It's the first place that any self-respecting adventurer will go to before they go off into an adventure. She is known for her delicious meat and flaky crust and the talk of every frontier town. Naturally, it's the first place to go. So as you approach the pie shop, it's a tumble-down cottage, very pleasant, from which you can normally smell just delicious pies baking, but this morning, There's something clearly wrong. Uh The door hangs ajar from the hinges and the gates of the cottage garden appear to be torn from their posts. There's a sign of a scuffle inside and you approach cautiously. You discover goblins engaging in ransacking the place. So I'd like everybody to roll a d20.
1: A d20 is a 20 sided die that you use to determine the next move. The higher a number you roll, the more effective whatever you're trying to do will be. 10
3: for me. Ooh, 18
4: for me. Ooh, nice.
3: Uh, 12. And I got 8. So did I win?
4: <laughs> well, the DMZ... well,
3: did I win the game? Oh, this has been great.
4: You get to go first. There's three goblins, they're tearing through the place. When you walk in, they kind of look up, and you got the first...
3: I got the first goblin. First whatever you want to do. Oh, gosh. Well.
1: Sam decides
4: to question them.
3: You know, what's what's your guys' problem? (laughs) problem? (laughs) What are you trying to get out of this pie shop?
4: Okay, so these, these goblins kind of look over you very surprised. And then one says... Um, we we just seem to have lost our keys. I think they're
1: lying.
4: Well you would <were> think <laughs> Does anybody wanna roll a deception check? We do
1: roll a deception check and they are lying. They also get away. But we find poor Mrs. Miggins among the disarray. Miss Miggins, uh,
3: is there anything of of particular value in this in this shop? um that that they could desire
4: well i mean everything in the shop is valuable to me everything but i know i know that i know that my secret spice is oh my god my secret spice is gone oh. simon's been after it for years simon the
1: rival pie maker naturally we offer to help recover the lost spice
4: would you that'd be so great i would i gladly give you a hundred gold a piece And lifetime credit at the pie shop. (laughs) Thus
1: began our quest to recover the secret recipe. Unfortunately, we can't share our entire adventure, so we'll skip to the part where we track down the recipe at a hideout in the magic forest. You knew there would be a magic forest, right? And the mountain dwarf in our party infiltrates the hideout.
3: What if we impersonated um, the si- Simon and Ooh. you know to try to? Could yeah. I do that because I have plus four performance nice. and um, I think intimidation plus two and I I'm a we'll I'm an entertainer. The, yeah, so. we'll just
4: use the performance. Okay, I'm gonna
3: know. dress up as him <laughs> and just be like, a, Did you get the <laughs> stuff? Roll a twenty. Yeah. Uh,
4: okay. <laughs> Did you get
3: that stuff that I needed from my competition? Oh no, I got
4: an eight, okay. Eight, okay. So uh, you are you gonna go in or are you gonna stay out?
3: Uh, are you, are you just doing <laughs> so you're gonna go in? I'm gonna go in with my outfit on, yeah.
4: Okay, so you've, you've dressed up kind of like Simon, you're doing your best impersonation, right? And you walk in the door and the orcs sort of look at you kind of weird. Let's see how they do. Okay, so they look at you kind of weird and they're like, but they're they're not the brightest of creatures. Okay,
3: good.
4: So, so they're like, huh. And they they put their, their their blades down and they're just staring at you. So what do you tell them?
3: Um, hey guys, I, I I heard the the commotion outside my competition's pie shop. I just want to make sure you got that spice that I needed. Is is that good to go to me? The way we said that that would happen.
4: So so they they look at you kind of confused and then one starts to laugh. <laughs> the commotion, did you did that, Simon? You know you did that. Um, and yeah, we got we got everything. It's over in the other room.
3: Perfect. I want to I bring that back to my pie shop right now so I can get started on the real pies that are good.
4: So one of the orcs goes and gives you a spice thing. It says spice on it.
3: This is great. I'm going to go get started on my recipes, and business will be booming soon.
4: You guys bring it back to Maggie's house. Everybody's happy. Simon is arrested. Congratulations. Nobody died.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: We saved the day and achieved our goal, free pie for life. And I think we were all a little bit surprised by the game.
3: This felt like long, like I was not prepared for how much like long form improv yeah. this was. Yeah,
0: exactly.
3: I didn't know how much of it was going to like rely on us to come up with it. Because like usually in a board game, it's like you follow like the cards or the rules. It's like A lot of it's like you choose your own adventure. And by how
1: accessible it was.
4: One of the great things about D&D is if you want to get into D&D, you don't have to buy a bunch of books. You don't have to have a bunch of dice. There's lots of ways you can do it. This is about people having a good time together. The point of the books and the systems, and there's lots of RPGs, role-playing games, um, is that there's some guidelines to help everybody sort of play together. That's it. So it's like having rules for basketball.
3: And we all had a lot of fun. I would play again. I could have. I could have done that for another hour or two. I was. Yep, yep. I was. I was ready for all the twists and turns. I did get some feedback on my approach. But we want to see charity with yeah. bloodlust. Right. There wasn't yeah. enough.
1: Next time. That's what we wanted. <laughs> A huge thanks to Justin Ford and the Fortuna Board Game Cafe in Iowa City and to the IPR staffers who risked goblin attacks and pies in the face in the name of journalism. Coming up in a moment, the history and allure of Dungeons & Dragons with the co-authors of Welcome to Dragon Talk, inspiring conversations about Dungeons and & Dragons and the people who love to play it. And if you need more d in your life, check out Studio One's review of the d soundtrack, Spell Jams. We are listening to Seeds of Destruction by Magic Sword. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.
0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Now that we have learned a little bit about how to play Dungeons & Dragons, I'm going to talk to two people who are spreading the Dungeons & Dragons gospel far and wide. Shelley Noble and Greg Tito are the co-hosts of Dragon Talk, the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. They are the co-authors of Welcome to Dragon Talk, inspiring conversations about Dungeons and & Dragons and the people who love to play it, published by University of Iowa Press, which is an underwriter of Iowa Public Radio. They also both work for Wizards of the Coast, a role-playing game company, and they are with me now. Hello, Shelly. Hello. How are you? Wonderful. Great to see you. And hello, Greg.
2: Hi, Charity. How are you?
1: Great. Thank you both so much for being here. And I want to start with a really basic question because I think a lot of people have heard of Dungeons and Dragons, know a little bit about it, or maybe have a lot of misconceptions about Dungeons and Dragons. So I want to start with that basic question of what is Dungeons and Dragons. And coincidentally, that's exactly where your book starts.
2: So, <laughs> so
1: Greg, instead of answering that question, would you read us a little bit from the, the first chapter of the book?
2: Sure. Absolutely. Our uh, our publisher, University of Iowa Press, said that it was probably a good idea to get people oriented before we jump <laughs> in to all of the minutiae of this game and this community. So uh, this is the opening of the book. What is D&D? I've been asked this question a thousand times. Dungeons and Dragons is a tabletop role playing game where players make decisions based on how their fantasy character would act when presented with a challenge or adversary by the player acting as the dungeon master. Maybe I didn't explain that quite right. Dragon Talk, the podcast Shelly and I co-host, and the subject of the book you're reading, is about making sure everyone knows that this game is for all types of people. Describing D&D in just a sentence doesn't really encompass the true majesty of the game. Shelly may have written a bit of marketing copy that gives a little more context. Dungeons & Dragons is a cooperative storytelling game driven by the limitless possibilities of your imagination. Silly moments spawn inside jokes, Silly moments spawn inside jokes. Overcoming challenges leaves treasured memories, whether in the heat of battle, embroiled in social intrigue, or solving clever puzzles, your adventuring party has your back. D&D brings people together and forges new friendships. That's better, but even that doesn't really explain the typical roles, like what a wizard is or how a paladin feels different than a fighter. One of the first things you do before playing D&D is create a character. Players take on archetypes like the dashing rogue, the stern holy warrior, the elven sorceress, or any variation they imagine and try to complete the Dungeon Master's storyline by improvising with fellow players. For players who love the strategy side of playing games, there's also a tactical system in play that allows D&D to simulate cinematic battles and force risky decisions that could result in success or failure based on the role of a die. Players can go as deep into that as they want or as the story serves at any particular moment. There are sessions that don't involve rolling any dice at all and might feel more like improv theater. While a climactic confrontation against the evil villain might be a session that's nothing but swings of the sword or slings of the spell and your hands are calloused from rolling so many dice. That may not make sense yet. You have to play D&D to realize you may be able to technically describe it with a pithy sentence, but that's just scratching it at the surface. The experience of playing D&D can go really deep. It could also be pretty shallow with nothing but potty humor and cheese dust on your hands. D&D is like building a cathedral in your mind. Playing D&D uses so many disciplines, so many different parts of the brain. It's a framework for storytelling. It's strategy game of life. It's a simulation asking, what if? It's theater. It's cinema. It's a video game. Dungeons & Dragons teaches empathy, communication, arithmetic, logic, tactics, soft skills, project management. It asks you to prioritize cooperation, celebrate your cohorts, and resolve conflict efficiently. Playing D&D can feel as elegant as a ballet and as silly as farting a pig and as tense as a drive in horror film. You build friendships playing D&D that can last a lifetime, and there's nothing sweeter than a family slaying the dragon together.
1: All right, well, I think you've answered the question. We're done here, right? (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) That is great. Tito, reading from Welcome to Dragon Talk. And uh, so I want to dig into the history of Dungeons & Dragons a little bit. But before we do that, I want to know how each of you got involved in Dungeons & Dragons. Because this is a game that people often it seems make a lifetime commitment to. Shelley, how did this start for you? Very
5: uh, simply, my boss made me play it. (laughs) 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 I was working at Wizards of the Coast, as you mentioned, the publisher of Dungeons and Dragons for about seven years uh, before I rolled my very first D20. I was working on every other brand Wizards published Magic: The Gathering at the time. Uh, There was Pokemon. There was NeoPets. There was lots of other trading card games. I played them all. I loved them all. I was scared to death of Dungeons and Dragons. I knew it was around the office. I just thought, not for me. Not why? Why
1: were you so intimidated by it?
5: Well, it's a good question because I was a theater major. I, you know, I love attention i love playing a different part i love voices and acting things out but i didn't know what dungeons and dragons was and i still carried these very antiquated stereotypes with me from childhood of like well a it's for boys b math there's just math i just thought it was just like a bunch of algebra formulas and i i don't i just heard there was lots of math And that you had to know all the rules and it would be very complicated. And if I didn't do a wizard's voice exactly like a wizard should, people would make fun of me or I don't know. I just I just it just didn't think that it was something for me. And then. So your boss made you play it. (laughs) My boss made me play it. I got a new job on the publishing team. And I was going to be working on um, marketing for novels and for, we were just launching a new children's book imprint. And I was so excited for the job because as a writer, I just, you know, was going to be really close to the publishing industry and, and working with some fantastic writers. But I also knew like, well, these are the same people that publish and play Dungeons and Dragons. Now I'm going to be like, you know, a cubicle away. And eventually my boss was like, do you know how to play this game? I feel like it might help actually do your day job. Uh I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll learn. I'll learn. And eventually like I, a meeting invite showed up a dungeon master showed up at my desk. This wonderful, uh, this very kind, patient man. He was like, Liz said, you got to learn how to play and put me in a group with five other people who had never played before. And I before the group we we created my character. I decided to be an an elf because I felt very fantasy to me and I wanted to be a sorcerer because I I want to do magic. I think how cool would it be to you know conjure all these spells and like cast fireballs and I'm going all in. So, he handed me my character and a little miniature that represented her and I from that moment I was like, "Wait, this is this is me? This is who I get to be?" And I sat down with this group of relative strangers and it was meant to be a two hour game. And within about three and a half minutes, I was hooked. I was like, Oh my gosh, I've been so wrong this whole entire time. All we're telling stories. We're hanging out together. We are having Epic battles. I am magic. I can do amazing (laughs) things. Um, And what what was meant to be a one off game ended up being a two and a half year campaign with the same wow. people. We were all just like, we're we're hooked. We're, we think this is actually part of our job. So is it okay if we play D anD D for two hours every Monday? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to try to get that implemented in my workplace as well. But um, it's
5: excellent team building. All right. So, so
1: Greg, how did you get started? Because you you had a little flirtation with Dungeons and Dragons as a kid, and that was quashed, right?
2: That's right. Yeah. So I found a Dungeon Master's Guide on my older brother's shelf, uh, and I'm not really sure how it got there. I think it was a hand me down from someone else. They didn't. My parents didn't know it was there. And I was a lover of fantasy. I loved The Hobbit and the, the animated movie, and then read the books. And so I was absorbed in all of those tropes. Uh, and when I found this game, I was like, Oh, this is you get to pretend like you're 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 living in a world like that. Um, and I was transported. And then as soon as I wanted to try and play, um, my parents, who were uh, extremely Catholic, uh, didn't really support that. They were just like, mm, no, that's not a good idea. You shouldn't do that. And then, you know, as being young, it's hard to kind of create uh, play dates on your own with people um, and, and find something like that. So I never and really Secret was able... play
1: dates, no less. Yeah, exactly. I know,
2: right? <laughs> uh, and I did. Uh, later on in life, you know, in, in high school and, and college, I started being like, oh, maybe we could do that. Never really kind of got anything together. Never found the right group. Uh, and it wasn't until I was living in New York city, I was married, I was producing theater and doing all these things. And I was like, wait a second. I, there's no one stopping me from playing D D right now. <laughs> I can find people. I'm in this big city. I'm sure there's folks that are like-minded like me and, uh, Finally, found a, a really great group, and similarly uh, played for two and a half years, uh, and uh, completed this this massive campaign going all the way from level one to level twenty two with this character named Todd Hedren, uh otherwise known as Toad. Um, and it opened my eyes to to so much creativity. Like I was, uh, I wanted to do writing and, and 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 creative endeavors as well. And so many of the people in that group were also. Uh, of that ilk and, and went on to do other things and, and, and grew on from there. And so, yeah, I, I resisted uh, against the um, satanic panic and finally got <laughs> m- and found my people. And, and what can be so great about this game for so many?
1: I'm talking to Greg Tito and Shelley Mazzanoble. They are the co-hosts of Dragon Talk, the official D&D podcast and co-authors of Welcome to Dragon Talk, a new book. And... I, I do want to dig into the history a little bit of D&D. You just alluded to it there, Greg. Mm-hmm. But um, it was first published in 1974. And That's tell right. me a little bit about how it grew and how it was received. I, My cousins played D&D in the late 70s, early 80s. I was never allowed to play. Um, I saw yeah. them play. <laughs> um, but uh, so just remind us, take us back in time and tell me a little bit
2: about that. Sure, yeah. So uh, the Dungeons & Dragons grew out of the wargaming uh, community. There were people who would play uh, on huge eight-foot you know, eight foot by four-foot tables of terrain with with uh, uh, some, you know, tiny miniatures of pewter and painted and have uh, rules about how they could engage in large-scale battles between uh, armies. Some were historical, some some were fantastical. Uh, and uh, Gygax, uh, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, uh, collaborated together on a lot of those rules and they had an idea together where what if it was a smaller scale squad type of game with instead of large uh, groups of people coming together, it's just individuals and maybe they have powers that they had read about in uh, fantasy that was popular at the time like Lords of the Rings or, or, or Conan the Barbarian. Um, or Jack Vance um, and they developed this system in 1974 as you said and it was sold a lot better than a lot of their wargaming uh, pamphlets that were being put out there and it was this new concept and wargamers uh, latched onto it and enjoyed this uh, smaller scale battle because it, it allowed them to act out uh, scenes and scenarios that were impossible on the, like the larger meta scale of, of wargaming and it, it took off. Uh, it was a small press in uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, uh, uh, and it grew. Employees came on and they started an entire line uh, and it uh, captured the imagination of first kind of college students and war gamers in the Midwest. And it spread from there to being a, a much more uh, national phenomenon. You, I, I remember fondly uh, the beginning of ET uh, by Steven Spielberg. They're playing Dungeons and Dragons at the, at the kitchen table. That was like the first time where I was like, huh, that, that seems like really fun. Um, and I think a lot of people similar to how Stranger Things opened up eyes to it now uh, uh, in the last few years. Um, and uh, they created a company called TSR, Uh, which uh, published all these things, including novels, including uh, other games uh, with similar rule sets, but different genres and kind of birthed this whole role playing game uh, industry.
1: And so there there was some pushback um, from religious groups back in the 80s. The 70s and 80s concerns about Satanism being embedded within the game Dungeons and Dragons. The the game endured it's been through a number of different iterations, some beloved, some not beloved. Um, and and that I don't it's fascinating to to read yeah. the history, honestly, but I'm not going to to spend all of our time talking about that right now. But that brings us to present day where Dungeons and Dragons is bigger than ever, and and there are so many different elements that seem to be feeding into this popularity. Shelley, why do you think Dungeons and Dragons is huge right now?
5: I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think, um, let's just rattle them off. The parents who played Dungeons and Dragons and loved Dungeons and Dragons in the 70s, 80s, 90s, some of them are parents now. And so they're bringing in the next generation of D&D players. Kids are just growing up around it. There's they're not like uh, poor Greg who had to, you know, just sit and wonder what it would be like to play D. Right. Um <laughs> there are shows out there like Critical Role, um that are that came out right around the time of fifth edition, where you actually get to watch people playing Dungeons and Dragons. And it's and in theory you think why would i watch somebody play a game but why indeed it is entertaining as anything out there well, to see it, professional okay actors.
1: people who aren't into it don't know what critical role critical is. critical
5: role yes is a is a group of very talented voice actors who every week get together and play dungeons and dragons and they you can watch you watch like you are watching a tv show that you would be watching on any channel on netflix on whatever um I think that actually getting to see people playing Dungeons and Dragons is so helpful in explaining what this game is and why people are having so much fun doing it. Had I seen people playing it in the office, maybe I wouldn't have been so scared of it. But also you you get to see people who are like you playing Dungeons and Dragons. You can imagine yourself at a table when you see A woman playing dungeons and dragons or a person of color playing dungeons and dragons um so representation is huge also for the for the game greg and i try uh, with dragon talk our podcast to make sure that we are shining a spotlight on some of these voices that maybe aren't um, getting recognized or coming from marginalized communities so we want to make sure that we're building a community uh, that people can see themselves in and in, in creating that space so that no matter who you are you can absolutely see yourself as part of this game shows like stranger things have obviously brought D to the forefront i know tons of nine ten eleven year old kids that are like i want to play dungeons and dragons i want to fight demogorgon i'm like you do <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's
5: okay. Scary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. I'll help you do that. So just you know, seeing it more popping up into mainstream and in pop culture just is you know a great awareness tool for that. I think fifth edition, the the edition of the game that we're on right now, has been very accessible. It's very easy for new players to get started with the rule set. Um, and just this community of people who play it are excited about playing it and want to bring more people into it. So you can find a person. I guarantee you, no matter where you are, ask three to five people if they play D and D. You're probably going to find at least one of them that's like, "Yes, I do. Do you want to learn? Come over next Friday, and we will play with you."
1: <laughs> We're going to have to take a short break um, before we get together and and play start our new next campaign. right? Uh, I am talking to Shelly manzanoval and Greg Tito. They are the co-authors of Welcome to Dragon Talk, inspiring conversations about Dungeons and Dragons and the people who love to play it. We will talk more about Dungeons and Dragons in a moment. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.
0: This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, Fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
1: It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. This hour, we are talking about Dungeons & Dragons. It's a game that was first published in 1974, but it seems to be having a moment right now and over the last several years. It is a role-playing game. We've already talked about what it is, and, and it's such a long explanation. We're not going to dig deep into that again, but right now I am talking to Shelley Mazenoble and Greg Tito. They are the co-hosts of the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast called Dragon Talk. They've done more than 300 episodes and they are also now co-authors of a new book, Welcome to Dragon Talk, inspiring conversations about Dungeons and Dragons and the people who love to play it, published by University of Iowa Press, which is an underwriter of Iowa Public Radio. They also both work for Wizards of the Coast, a role-playing game that publishes Dungeons and Dragons. And we were talking just before the break about the many different elements that seem to have come together right now. Now to make this a, a real moment for Dungeons & Dragons. Obviously, your organization and your podcast are both also pieces of that puzzle. Um, it also feels like slowly over time, the internet really transformed Dungeons & Dragons from being a game that a small, relatively isolated group of people played together to a worldwide community. Greg, do you have thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, totally. I think what happened with uh, Dungeons and Dragons in the 90s is kind of a microcosm of that. So there was uh, a lot of uh, conventions and events that people would go to, and that's how networking would occur if you couldn't find a group uh, in your friend circle, which was very possible in, in, in most communities in the country at the time, you would have to go to events. You have to go somewhere where people were congregating. And that only happened uh, offline, as you said, uh, in, as the start of the 90s. But as we got to the end of the 90s and, and the internet was growing and, and, and familiarity with posting on forums and getting to know people without meeting face-to-face became more of a norm. All of a sudden, people were able to connect and talk about this game uh, across thousands of miles. It was almost like ham radio uh, and and how uh, you could have a, a, a fan in Germany talking to a fan in Wisconsin uh, uh, about what they love about this game and, and relate stories about it. So I think that was a huge boon in uh, the growth of the community. And it also, it allowed people who um, may have not been comfortable going to a convention uh, and just meeting random strangers to be able to, to show their, their D&D flag a little bit easier. Uh, and it led to a proliferation, of a lot of, of D&D material being published out there too, because it would, it's mostly just text uh, and, and some images. So you could, if you had a blog, you could just post your thoughts and 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 rules uh, out there uh, on something like that, and people could discuss it and see what it was good uh, and what was not, uh, and 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 you know create a, a community around that together. And so I think that was the first um, uh, time where people who were coming from marginalized communities were able to really see each other and be like, oh, you love to do this too, and 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 see the benefit of role playing and how this game can actually teach empathy. There's not a lot of tools out there that allow you to really walk in another person's shoes, but that's that's kind of literally what D&D does. It allows you to take on a role that you may not uh, have in your real life, whether it's an elf or, or an orc or, or someone who's from a, a, a marginalized community. And we've talked to so many people over the years on Dragon Talk who, uh, in playing this game, opened their eyes to their, their sexual identities, their gender identities, and uh, even uh, you know, teaching people what it's like to sometimes walk in the shoes of of someone from from a marginalized community. I think that's uh, a, a huge um, growth act access point for for D anD D right now.
1: Also, the the awareness that these internet communities brought i think also exposed some of the real problems with dungeons and dragons and some embedded racism and embedded misogyny within the game that i know that both of you have worked really hard to make DD a more inclusive space and you've interviewed a lot of people who have done a whole lot to make DD a more inclusive space i I keep reading the title of of your book, and and we haven't gotten to the content yet, really, because I keep saying inspiring conversations about Dungeons and Dragons, and um, I can imagine somebody thinking inspiring conversations about Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I mean, Shelley, your book is really moving. Uh, Have you been surprised to discover really the emotional
5: depth and the power of this game? Yes, every single week. Actually, every single day that I come to work and do my job. It is... Um, I I don't I recognize how lucky we are to to be a part of this game and a part of how we can bring it to more people. But you know, every week on Dragon Talk, Greg and I talk to people who have been profoundly changed or impacted by Dungeons and Dragons. And you might think, but it's a game. How is that even possible? But it does go far beyond just entertainment for a lot of people for all the reasons that that Greg just mentioned, you you inherently become more empathetic. You you learn things about yourselves. Um, there are therapists who use Dungeons and Dragons deliberately in their practice. Now, role playing is not new to therapy. I understand. However, Dungeons and Dragons, like actually <laughs> having your patients play a game of Dungeons and Dragons as part of their therapy, and it and it works wonders for people. Teachers are using D and D in their classrooms and to me that's that's what really just makes me wake up in the morning get excited to come to to my job to see like we're actually impacting positively kids you know intercepting them at at these young ages kids that are maybe coming from um you know challenging backgrounds or have have learning difficulties or think i'm not a reader or i'm not one of the smart kids I've, they've actually you know uttered those words and yet they get in front of dungeons and dragons they take on these characters Next thing you know, they're creating worlds. They're standing in front of their peers and they're running you through a, a campaign of, that they've developed on their own. They're writing pages and pages of backstories about their, their characters. And they're in the library, nose deep in books about dragons or about castles or about swords, all of these things that they just become so excited and passionate about because of how this game has just triggered something into their in their imagination. And they're, uh,
1: they're reading and they're doing math and they're not and even they, noticing. And they don't <laughs> know
5: it. Yeah. And we're like, we'll never tell them. <laughs> 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 no, we'll tell their parents and we'll tell their teachers, but we're never going to tell them.
1: <laughs> you selected an excerpt that you want to share with us that, that is about Dungeons and Dragons and kids, maybe yes. not the, the most serious parts of, <laughs> of the book about Dungeons and Dragons and kids, because there really are some incredibly innovative ways that it's being used. But would you read a little bit for us, Shelley?
5: Yes. Yeah. This is actually from a chapter called Dungeons and Dragons 101 with Ethan Schoonover, who is a teacher that did bring Dungeons and Dragons to a very special middle school. You can take the girl out of middle school, but you can't take the middle school out of the girl. If you attend Lake Washington Girls Middle School, that might not be a bad thing. Get this there is a world in which middle school doesn't suck for girls. And it's because of Dungeons and Dragons. You're probably asking yourself what alternate reality we are living in where these three things go together. But trust me, they do. Allow me to introduce you to Ethan, Mr. E, Schoonover. Now, Ethan is a jeans and blazer kind of guy. Probably has a few corduroy jackets with elbow patches for those fancy nights on the town. Pretty standard garb for a literate, technically gifted PNW dad. But to a 12-year-old student who rolled high on her insight check... He might as well have been draped in mage armor and a pointy hat. Mr. E, she began, looking around to ensure no one could overhear. Have you seen Stranger Things? Uh, yeah, he answered. I've seen it. What was going on here, he thought. Was she about to open a briefcase and try to shill some knockoff Duffer Brothers merch? Have you, uh, seen the D&D stuff in it, she asked. Yeah, I did. So do you know how to play dnd turns out he did some people just give off the vibes mr e admitted that not only did he know how to play he was thinking of starting a dnd club roll for initiative it was literally game on for this girl or rather rather daily bombardment asking when this club was happening when are we playing dnd she demanded on the regular greg and i were impressed This girl had no experience playing D&D, but saw it portrayed on a show where a kid about her age was abducted and taken to an alternate dimension by a mysterious creature. And his friends and a telepathic girl needed to rescue him from a freaky giant tentacled monster and evil government scientist and thought, yes, I want in on that action. (laughs) I guess that does sound cool. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that is Shelley Mazanoble reading from Welcome to dragon talk and and that that club took off at it that did. school and you write about a lot of different teachers and therapists mm-hmm. who are using. Dungeons and Dragons in different ways. I mean, we talked about deepening empathy, but also developing social skills. That was one of my favorite chapters. Yeah. Was learning about a, a company or, an, or a, an organization that uses Dungeons and Dragons to help kids who are on the autism spectrum develop social skills. Uh, Shelley, I think that was your chapter. Yes. <laughs> you guys take turns and tell us a little bit more about that.
5: Yes, that is an organization called Game to Grow and uh a, a two gentlemen that Greg and I affectionately refer to as the Adams because they were both named Adam um <laughs> appropriately and yes that is the mission of of game to grow is to help kids develop those social skills that are you know crucial to their development and and very challenging for lots of people and to but they're using D&D as a way to incorporate they they, they refer to themselves as therapeutic dungeon masters which I love that title uh, because the games of D&D aren't just like freeform, like how you and I might just play like, hey, let's just roll some dice and see what happens. They're actually incorporating deliberate scenarios in there to help the kids actually work on those social skills. Things like taking a turn, waiting for someone else to go, recognizing that um, sometimes the spotlight isn't on you or how to interact with a... um, the innkeeper in the game or how do you go into a, a merchant and actually purchase new equipment and like actually, or or what does it feel like when your adventuring party returns from battle and you're back in town and you know, like they're like, wow, well, we want to take our gold pieces and we want to like, you know, go buy more weapons. All right. But really think about like how would your character feel after experiencing what you experienced and it, they stop and they pause and they think, oh yeah you know what that was hard that my my character experienced this emotion or that emotion and it's like these are kids that have found it really difficult to talk about their feelings and their emotions and to actually take a pause and recognize what you're feeling through the lens of a character that you portrayed in a fantasy game kind of incredible. It is incredible. And before we
1: run out of time, Greg, I want to talk about some of the work that you and many, many others have done to make Dungeons and Dragons a more welcoming, more inclusive space, particularly for people of color and for people of all genders, because it really was a white male dominated game for decades. Um, Greg, tell us about the world that we could tap into with Dungeons and Dragons today.
2: Absolutely. I think the essay that I wrote about my conversation with Tanya the pass is a big uh, uh, changing point for me where I was a, you know, straight white male, uh, cisgendered. And, uh, you know, even I found it hard to get into the game. Uh, but it was eye opening for me having that conversation with Tanya, uh, who uh, is was a fan of fantasy, just like I was also had a Catholic upbringing, uh, just like I did, but was, uh, you know, grown up in, in, in black neighborhoods in, in Chicago, and how she would go to conventions and game stores and have very, very different experience than I had. In those situations, because of the color of her skin and how the game can sometimes portray uh, characters uh, who have different colored skin. There is a a race called the Drow, which are uh, um, uh, portrayed as a dark skinned uh, elven race who are always evil uh, in the lore or were portrayed as always evil in the lore. And uh, she had a very honest conversation with us about this on air uh, (laughs) as we were talking about it. And I realized that there are uh, so many folks like Tanya out there, and I can't do much to change um, systemic racism in the world uh, working as a communications professional at a game company. Um, But the one thing I could do was start to talk to them more. Uh, And so I made a point for... Uh, Dragon Talk to try to uh, invite people and hear more of these stories and just listen to them and uh, like, you know, Dungeon Masters do around the table at D&D and understand their perspective and empathize with where they're coming from. And uh, the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons rules portrays a lot of people of color uh, in their fantasy artwork. And I think that was something that w- started that trend of being like, well, yeah, there are. This untapped uh, community of folks who would love something like this and love to be able to portray um, uh, people who have different colored skin uh, as heroes, uh, because that wasn't seen in media everywhere. And so uh, it was it was really this great uh, way and, and to introduce all of this community into this, uh, what they can get out of Dungeons and Dragons. And I, I think it's just enriched the community so much
1: there is so much out there. Uh, and, you know, we've already talked about how it's hard to describe what Dungeons & Dragons is. Uh, we've talked about campaigns that go on for multiple years. There's a game that's been going on for 40 years, for example, oh, yeah. um, that, that you write about in the book. I, I think that, you know, Shelly, you felt intimidated. I feel intimidated. and And I think, it's probably hard for a lot of people to imagine where you would start. And we only have about a minute left. But give me your, your minute of advice, Shelley, about how to get into Dungeons & Dragons if this is something that intrigues you.
5: Start with your local game store, because if you have a local game store, there's a very good chance they do some learn to play events or there already is a weekly gaming event going on. But really ask your friend group, put it out there on social media. Hey, I want to learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons. You will be surprised by the people who answer you and say, we already have a a group going. I will teach you. Jump in here. Um, You can also go to playdnd.com which is a great resource for people who are looking to get started and um, tons of learn to play materials there but really just start in your own community because i guarantee you you are just mere miles away from your very first dungeon master
1: <laughs> can can you if you have a group of people that wants to learn to play but nobody is experienced can you learn to be a dungeon yes. master to play
5: you can and there's a great starter set out there that guides you through that that experience uh, very well and also just tons of resources out there playdnd.com will have them and just walk you through your very first encounter as a dungeon master if i can do it i guarantee you people out there can do
1: it. although you write about how scared you were the first time you were a dungeon master so i I, I know you relate
5: <laughs> and now i'm starting a d;D club at my son's school so nice i yep you can can do it.
2: (laughs) It's it's been the quest of Dragon Talk. That is my my
5: greatest character arc.
1: (laughs) Shelly and Greg, thank you both so much for talking with me today. Thank you. Thanks,
2: Charity. This has been awesome.
1: Shelly Mazenoble and Greg Tito are the co-hosts of Dragon Talk, the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast, and the co-authors of Welcome to Dragon Talk: Inspiring Conversations About Dungeons and Dragons and the People Who Love to Play It, published by University of Iowa Press. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. This episode was produced by Caitlin Troutman. Special thanks to our dungeon master Justin Ford and Fortuna Board Game Cafe in Iowa City. You never need to miss an episode of Talk of Iowa. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Talk of Iowa. This is Talk of Iowa. I'm Charity Nebbe.